Listening Dog Media. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Warren Eriksson won 18 trophies managing football teams across Europe. He enjoyed particular success in Portugal with Benfica and in Italy with Lazio, Roma and Sampdoria. He was the first manager to win league and cup doubles in three different countries. But his most infamous appointment came in 2001 when he became the first foreign manager to take charge of the England national team. He spent five years at the helm and guided the three Lions to three successive quarterfinals in major championships. Since then, Sven's career has included spells with Manchester City, Leicester City and more recently taken him to China. For the next instalment of the Offside Rule exclusives, myself, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen chat to Sven in his home in North Sweden. This episode is guest edited by sports broadcaster and journalist Faye Carruthers. The female take on football. This is our very first offside rule road trip abroad. And after quite a sketchy drive along from Oslo down to Sweden, we've made it to Sven Joran Eriksson's house. Thank you very much for having us, first of all, Sven. Pleasure. You're welcome. Um, this is all about your career. It's about what's happened in your life. We'll, we'll cover many topics. I want to start by, by saying happy belated birthday because earlier this week, was it 70th birthday for you? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> you say unfortunately? Well, you're getting old and uh, more difficult to get jobs and things like that. But I feel young. Well, young. I feel, uh, I feel very good. I'm wondering in terms of cards and presents from the world of football and the names that you still keep in touch with? I mean, who's, who's been in touch with you? Well, the Swedish Federation. <clears throat> I had dinner uh, Monday evening with a lot of coaches in Stockholm, mm-hmm. friends. Tord Grip is one of them, which uh, famous in England. So it was nice. And my children organised everything. So I was happy. Did you get any good presents? Is there anything more well, you could I want got, in I life? I got a bottle of very good wine from you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. 
It didn't take us very long to pick that one out, did it? No, it didn't. We saw a fancy label and we were like, ka-ching, that one looks good, doesn't it? Actually, in England right now, you, you say getting older is, is, is a bad thing. Actually, the older you get, the more experienced you are. Look, we've got Roy Hodgson back in club management. And he's doing very well. Yeah. And Excellent. You look at the average age of managers these days. Yes, we have some brilliant young managers yeah. coming through. We've got you know, Eddie Howe, is Chris Hewton young? He still looks young, doesn't he? He, he looks he's very... He's in the young bracket. He's in the young bracket. But yeah, actually, the, in England, if you ever fancy coming back, I think you'd fit right in with the crowd there. There you go. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I, I'm, I would like to know, are there any signs of slowing down? Or in your mind, are you not ready for that yet? No, I'm not ready for that yet. That's a problem. Uh, you think that you still still can do the job and you think that you are better than these sitting on the bench when I look at television, but <laughs> that's life. So we'll see, but um, I'm fine. If I don't get a good job, I will be fine anyhow. So mm. I'm uh, healthy uh, and that's the most important thing, I guess. And I'm happy. We've already seen that you've got a nice swimming pool here in where you live, uh, which is right by a lake, by the way. We're, we're looking right out onto the snow-filled, ice-filled lake. And you said that it's been about five years since it's iced over completely. It's been that cold this winter. Um, but you also like your tennis, I believe. Yeah, I play a little bit summertime. Um, yeah, I like it. But exercise is uh, part of my life, always been. And if I don't exercise in two days, I got nervous. Uh, so it's a must and it, it's a way of living and you I feel better <clears throat> physically of course but also mentally I kind of want to know actually what are you doing with your time off right now you have this beautiful house it's very calm here and you're used to the, the hustle and bustle of course of working out in China and working amongst footballers and coaches and information constantly but you're enjoying having a calm mind but what do you do in your time off well, as you said, Shanghai is different from this place, much different. Shanghai, 30 million people, and here I'm more or less alone. So it's quite different. What I'm doing, I've been traveling a lot, uh, looking at football in many countries. I've been in England. I had a lot of people here because this house is very, very nice. But it must be people here. You cannot mm. sit here alone for many days. I will probably go into football in another way, a little bit of TV, I will go to England making some games. I go to Qatar making some games. And then I'm thinking about uh, buying a football club somewhere, oh. not in England. Might be a bit expensive in England, unfortunately. That's the way things have gone. That's too expensive on a lower level. And because football is, has been my life and I miss football. I miss the Saturday or Sunday afternoons when the adrenaline in the body goes up. You have to win, 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 and I miss that. Uh, it's not the same looking at television. It's quite different. Which is the league that you keep your eye on most? The league? Well, that's Premier League, of course. Well, summertime, when the weather is good, I go to see a lot of Swedish football. But Premier League, yeah, of course, like most people in the world. Could it be Swedish football where you eventually invest, where you take on a club, or would it be another league that excites you? Because we've seen, you know, you had a former captain in David Beckham who's launching a, a team in the MLS. Yes. No, it will not be in Sweden. In Sweden, strange enough, you cannot buy a club. Well, you can go in with 49%, but you're not allowed to own, to own 50 or 51%. So that's very strange. So it's in another country, but it's on a very low level. So 
to keep me busy and to put my hands into something which has to do with football. It's going to be very interesting to see what you do next. Going back then in time, um, what was the law of coaching and, and why did you get into it in the first place? Well, I was not a great, great footballer. I was second division in Sweden. And uh, one day, Tor Grip, which I told you, he came and asked me, well, he said properly, I think you should stop playing football. Be my assistant instead. And I was 27 at that time. So I did that. And then, of course, I've always been interested when I was a young boy in coaching and why the coach doing this, why the coach telling me what I shall do, I don't think it's right, and things like that. So then I became a coach, and that, that was better. I was a better coach than a player, <laughs> for sure. Did you establish that very quickly? Did you realise this is my calling? Yes, I did. I was his assistant for one year and then he left to the Swedish Federation and uh, he said, take the team. And uh, yeah, it started there. How important was it for you? You mentioned now you travel and watch football up close. I remember my dad was telling me, actually, he played for Leeds United. Um, as you now know, I've just told you that. And back in the 70s, when you were a young man and my dad was a young player, you would go and watch Leeds United train to learn. I think, were you manager at Gothenburg at the time? I was manager of Gothenburg, I just started. And I travelled a lot to England. I was in Leeds and saw your father, I remember it. Uh, I was in Liverpool a lot. Uh, I went to uh, Newcastle, Bobby Robson was there. And then I travelled to Holland. I wanted to learn about football and see different things. So... Yeah, happy times. Who of the managers, actually, that you were watching, did you maybe idolise or, or look up to? Well, he became my friend later, Bobby Robson. Uh, very, very special man. And I went there to see training. I have written a letter to him before and said, I'm coming. And he, he didn't know who I was. So we were talking after training. I, th I think he was sitting there two hours. Well, talking. He talked. I listened. <laughs> Beautiful. And then he told me, tomorrow you have uh, a ticket for the game. They played at home against Aston Villa, I think. No, I said, but I will buy one, one. No problem. No, no, no. He said, where do you want to sit? Do you want to sit in the stands or on the bench together with me? I said, I can't do that. But anyhow, I was sitting next to him during a league game. in uh, Fantastic. Great man. You went on and you managed some of the biggest clubs in Europe. But in terms of the biggest achievements from that time, what, what are the standout memories for you? Well, if you take the job to be manager of England, that's a big job. Probably one of the biggest in the world. And, um, well, I was very proud to have that job, of course. Then if you talk about uh, winning titles and things like that, uh, I was winning very early, 82, with the Swedish team. UEFA Cup, which today is European uh, League. And that's never happened before, and it never happened after, neither. So that was great. Then, you know, Italy. Italy and football, that's Juventus, Inter and Milan. So if you win the league with a team, not one of these three, it's very, very big in Italy. So that was, of course... Great. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Offside Rule TV, for exclusive video football content. Was there ever a time in your career that you might have had a regret 
I wish I hadn't have taken this. I wish I hadn't have taken this on. I wish I hadn't blooming well bought this player. Yeah, of course. Some of the jobs I took, uh, I regret. One of them was Notts County. I went in there like, uh, I don't know what I was, sport director. or I could do whatever I wanted with the team, but it, it became a fake, all of it. Mm. So that I re- regret very, very much. Regretting taking England or Lazio or Sampdoria? No, never. Of course, if you lose away qualification games against Northern Ireland with England, mm. life is not that easy. <laughs> you can't lose. <laughs> How did you find adapting to all these different cultures? You mentioned Italy being quite special to you, but again, that's another culture that you had to adapt to. Yes, of course, but that makes you rich. I'm not talking about money, but experience. Mm. And I think when you move to another country, the most important thing uh, is to learn the language as quick as possible. Because when you do that, you have a quite different uh, communication with people, players, but also the normal life. You can see TV, you can read papers, you're invited to a dinner. And if you don't speak the language, you you are out. You feel like a young child again. You don't know what people are talking about. So when you do that, uh, you really start to enjoy life, whichever country it is. I mean, this was a breakthrough (coughs) moment in England. England had never, ever had a foreign manager before. So how did that come about that you were offered that job? Of course, it was great. And, you know, I'd just been winning five, six titles in Lazio. So life was very, very easy in Rome, beautiful. But when England phoned, I said, I had to say yes, because that's once a life you get such an offer. Then coming to England, of course, I understood that a little bit controversial. But anyhow, the results started to come, and uh, I always felt at home in England. And I think, you know... For sure, you know, the press is one thing in England and the fans is quite different. The press now and then tried to kill me for various reasons. But the fans, was, they were always very, very kind. Come on, Sven, take us to the World Cup. and Sven, let's win the World Cup. So I liked it. I loved it. No one knows much about the process. I mean, you said that you got a call when you were at Lazio, but what is the formal process in terms of, did you have an interview? Was it, was it a, a process of actually being bored and then you having to answer questions? This was during a, a break for national team and England has, had just played Germany at home, at Wembley. I think it was the last game in the old Wembley and they lost 1-0 with uh, Keegan as a coach, and uh, he resigned in the dressing room after the game. So an, a- uh, an agent, Atoll Still, phoned me one hour after the game and said, Sven, would you be interested in taking England? I said, uh, come on, Atoll, you know that that's impossible. You cannot be Swedish and be a coach of England. So I took it like a joke. But then two days later, he phoned me again and said, mm, it's not a joke. So then I met. Um, Adam Crusier and uh, David Dean. <clears throat> he was like a vice president, I think, for the FA in Rome. They came there and we discussed and I said, of course, I'm coming. <laughs> so that was it. it. It went very, very quick and I had to speak to the chairman, owner of Lazio and say, 
I'm leaving. And he said, where are you leaving? You can't leave. Well, I said, England. Wow, he said. So he let me go. He had to let you go. (laughs) When you took on that initial role and you had the players that were there and so much hope and expectation as there is with an England side heading into any tournament, whether it be Euros or World Cup, if they qualify, which is only just happening. Um, did you have a set plan in your mind about what you wanted to do with the national team, what you wanted to achieve? And was that very different from what the FA perhaps had in mind that was realistic? Well, FA at that time, they never told me you have to win uh, the World Cups or things like that. Uh, qualify was great for them because... When I started the job, the job there, this is for the World Cup 2002. It didn't look very great, but uh, we managed. Um, no, the only one, the only people who really put the bar very, very, very high is the press. And I think it's a little bit different today. But at that time, you can't lose a game, not even a friendly. And I told, why can't I lose a friendly? I changed 11 players in halftime and the press got crazy. Things like that. But um, no, no one told me. That was totally up to me. And of course, I thought the first World Cup 2002, when I was in charge, that we could reach quarter semi. 2006, I thought we should win it. Mm. We didn't, but um, I think no team were better than us in that uh, World Cup. Italy won it at the end. So that was a huge... Disappointment. Huge, huge. I've heard you talk before about actually one thing that you would have changed is maybe bringing in a mental coach or somebody to help with the mental side of the game during tournaments. Do you think if that had been the way or you had somebody to help you with that at the time, things could be different? Well, uh, maybe. And I regret that uh, before the tournament 2006. But not helping the team playing but helping the team taking penalty shootouts. Because I I was sure 2006 we were ready for it and we could handle it. And you came there again uh, and we couldn't. So I regret that, yes, I do. But then saying that, you don't know if the result would have been better or not. You've mentioned the British press and certainly that relationship with the England manager for some time. If things are going well, not so bad. As soon as there is anything that they don't agree with, it, it seems that over courses of tournaments, it, it's been quite an undertaking for an England manager to have that relationship with the press. Do you think it would benefit the England manager for the, that relationship to be better? Yeah, of course. You wish always as a manager, if you are in a club or you are in a national team, that the relationship should be good and that you could trust each other. But uh, I think a lot of the press in England... They are very, very good. Uh, They know football. They are serious in what they're doing. Then you have one part of the press, which at that time, they are are not serious. They are out for other other things. If they can disturb, they disturb. They build you up very, very high. And then they want you down. Do you believe that part makes the England manager's job a bit of a poison chalice? Yes, uh, a little bit. You know, I don't remember who was it? Uh, Scolari, I think it was, who was, he was almost taking the job and suddenly there were uh, paparazzi around him before he signed. So he said, no, I will not 
go to England. I want a private life. So if you want a private life, you shouldn't take that job. Uh, I remember I asked a friend I have in England before I signed, and I said, that's a great job. How is it to live in London and things like that? Well, he said, it's the greatest job you can have, but you should live in Paris, he said, not in England. <laughs> Maybe he was right. Do you think as well it didn't help in terms of trying to have relationships as a single man, of course, you're going to meet women, you're going to spend time with people, just as us as young females love dating boys in our lives, but we can keep them private. You can't. How difficult was that having to deal with, how, just trying to have a nice, normal relationship in life? Of course, I didn't like it, but um, there, there it is. So, as I said before, you have to accept things, and I wasn't especially worried about it. And as long as a federation didn't care about it and Adam Crusier told me, hey Sven, your private life, like, I don't care about it. Win football games for us and that's it. But it, that's a sad story because the reason why all these came out is that some of the press were reading all the messages on my mobile phone during three years and who told me that was Scotland Yard a couple of years after I finished the job. They told me, here it is. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Then you're going too far to make a bad story, I think. That's an invasion of privacy to the next degree, isn't it? You know, everybody that you speak to that's potentially been a victim of a burglary, for instance, they feel like their home has been violated. You felt like your privacy has been violated. Yeah, but I didn't know about it then, uh, at that time. Did you suspect? Well, that's a bad thing. I suspected uh, the ladies... I suspected friends. I suspected at a certain point my brother. Wow. Someone has to talk to the press because they knew everything I should do. Not what I have done, what I should do tomorrow. So you get uh, frustrated and you wonder where is that coming from? And mm -hmm. some years later then when Scott Lanyard uh, contacted me, uh, I said, wow, that explains everything. It does make you understand why you like this remote lifestyle, <laughs> being in your Swedish house and there's yeah, no overlooking neighbours. Life, uh, life is beautiful, as always. But when you are the England manager, whatever you do, uh, there are paparazzi around you. Mm. In this place, there were 50 outside here, on the lake, in the bushes, when I was here. As soon as you stop being England manager, nobody cares about you anymore. What, <laughs> what do you do? Um, we have to speak about Manchester City. I mean, we haven't got time to go through every single football club that you've no, ever managed because not. we would be here way too long. But in the 10 years mm -hmm. since Manchester City, they, they had um, Taksin Chinawatra mm -hmm. as the owner. Um, and he came into the club. You were appointed. Had slight roller coaster of a year. Um, what was it like for you then? And what have you made of the journey for Manchester City as a club since? Well, first of all, I think I came to Manchester City two or three years too early. I should have come after Taksan Shinovatra. Saying that, uh, it was okay with him because we spent some money, not the money they spent today, of course. And I think we did uh, a good season, if you compare what uh, City had done before. 
But then at the end of the season, it became obviously he wanted to change me, and I asked him many times why. You know that the results been very good, and and he always said I don't know. I was very happy there, and I think we played great football until Christmas, until January, February. Then we finished the season very bad, very very bad, and. The players didn't want to play at the end because they knew that I would be sacked, and it was a mess the last month. So it was great. I liked it, but uh, it finished badly. How do you feel about how far they have come on as well? Obviously, when you left the club and, and, and left it behind, did you ever imagine they would get to where they are with this huge rivalry now with them and Manchester United? It's always been there, but it's become very different. Yeah, of course. Manchester City today is one of the best teams in the world. You have to put up uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, when they are okay, which they are not in this moment. So, and the football they're playing is very, very good. So, I'm happy for all the fans. They've been suffering for many years uh, before me, and maybe during my time as well. So, it's great. It's great to see them and what they have done, training ground, stadium and everything. So it's a top, top, top club in the world today. And I'm quite sure that they will stay like that for a long time. Do they have the top manager, do you think, in the world managing them right now? How do you rate Pep Guardiola? No, of course he's one of these big ones. But also when you train by Munich, Barcelona, uh, it's difficult not winning the title. So, But saying that... I like his way of uh, playing football. And he showed that style in Barcelona. I went to see him there, uh, to see trainings. And in Bayern, and he's doing the same thing here. So what he represents, uh, the style of football, I like that. Those stories, to some degree, you know, you get Pep Guardiola as coach, you spend a copious amount of money to bring in the best players from around the world. And you see them as runaway leaders in the Premier League this season. And it isn't too much of a surprise, is it? Because that sort of story happens. The investment, we saw it with Chelsea when Abramovich came in. Um, You buy the best, often you get the best. But a former club of yours, Leicester City, um, when they went on their journey and won the title, nobody expecting them to do such a thing. What does that mean when, when a club like that manages to get that accolade? That's the beautiful thing in football. As you said, nobody would have expected that before the league or even during the league. And they did it. And uh, I think the whole football world loved it. I did, for sure. You can still win without spending awful lot of money. But... It will not happen every year. It will happen now and then, and I hope it will happen in the future, but very, very difficult. And what happened there, yeah, Leicester was great. They were great. But all the other top teams, they failed. They had a bad season, (laughs) more or less all of them. So not taking any way away from Leicester. They were great. The Offside Rule exclusives are available to download for free via Audio Boom and iTunes. How much do you look at how a club is owned and ran before you decide to take it, even if they do offer you X amount of money and they have some of the best players in the world when you're having to think about factoring other things like that? Well, I learned that uh, some of the owners I had 
were not that good. A lot of owners I worked under were great people, great people. And Notts County was one of them, of course. Maybe Manchester City, another one. But that's it. It's difficult to know before you start the job. You try to figure out by friends and by uh, federation and so on, if there are trustful people and so on. But that's it. (laughs) What was the interest in China? Why did you go there? Well, I was in Dubai at that time. And uh, I got a phone call from a rather big club in China. And I was a sport director in Dubai. I hated it because sitting behind a desk and talking to people, no, I didn't like that. So I got the offer and I said, why not? So I went there and, um, yeah, it was great. I don't regret it at all because football in China is growing. And uh, you might laugh at me now, but in 15 years, China will compete with winning the World Cup. You really? That's your, that's your prediction already? Absolutely. That will happen. I wouldn't say they win it, but they will compete. Mm. Because five years ago and before that, there were no grassroots football mm. in China. Not at all. All young people, boys, girls, badminton, ping pong, basketball a little bit, and all individual sports. No team. And football, almost nothing. Four years ago, the president of the country, the big, big man, went out saying, hey, from now on, football. In every school in China, you have to play football. I don't want to see China number 75 of FIFA ranking list anymore. We're going to host the World Cup. I want to see China uh, qualify for the World Cup. And I want to see China win the World Cup. So, football. And today... Every kid, they play football in school. And think about 1.3 billion people. How many talented uh, Mm. boys and girls are out there? It is going to be a boom. What are your impressions of their league structure they've been developing and in terms of potentially one day competing with La Liga, Serie A, um, Premier League even? Because... It, it's only quite fresh, it's only quite young in, in its ascendancy. Yeah, it is. And of course, since uh, three, four years, they started to take in uh, not old ex-players going down. They started to, to compete with the rest of the world to take the best players. But what you have to look at to make China bigger as a football country is what's happening in the youth level. Because it will take China one generation uh, football generation to be to compete there, but they will do it. I'm sure. The only problem in China today is not the interest of football; it's pitches. They struggle to find enough pitches mm. and to find uh, good enough coaches on the youth level. And actually, probably benefiting in in, in the future Europe because there are hardly any Asian players, particularly when you look in Britain. That's for sure. So things actually could, could in turn help over this side of the world as well. I think you're completely right. I think it's a dream for every big club in Europe to find a big star from China. Mm. Because if that happens, how many search will, if it's Manchester United, say, mm. how many search will they sell in China? Mm. It's business. Mm. But so far... 
players between 25, 30, you have no one good enough to play in Premier League. In all the jobs that you've had and all the clubs that you've managed over the years, there must have been people that didn't handle letting you go in the right way. Well, Manchester City, I, I never really understood why they wanted to change coach at that time, but that's it. You have to accept it. And in one way they were correct, in another way I think... Uh, I, I don't think they should have done it. But I have another job, Leicester, I think they were completely right to sack me. Uh, maybe not because of the way we played football, because we were okay, but I bought the wrong players. And sometimes you do that. And uh, <clears throat> the owner was disappointed, angry, I suppose. All, he had, had all the right to be it. So that's easy to accept because I wanted the players, he spent the money, and the results after some months we're not there. What would be the dream job for you moving forward the next step? We've talked about a few things that you would you would like to do in terms of maybe buying a club, but getting back into football, if you were to manage any club in the world and you could have your pick, would it be your beloved uh, Liverpool? I've always been a Liverpool fan in all my life, uh, since I was five years or whatever it was. And I got it from my father and then in the early career I went often to Liverpool and knew all the big managers and things like that. Yes, of course, but saying that, it's a joke. It's, it will never happen. So I'm not putting me on the list to be the next uh, Liverpool coach, absolutely not. You can't say never. Never say never, Sven. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> I don't believe in it. But anyhow, but there are many good football job, uh, jobs out there and uh, maybe it's... I said no to Barcelona once, no to Juventus once because of other jobs. I don't think I need to say no anymore. <laughs> we, we can't leave you without talking about England with it being a World Cup year. Russia, it's going to be a big ask, but how far do you think England have come, certainly since your time? I hope they do better than they have done in the past after me. Well, even better than I did, uh, we did together. And I think they have a good chance. I think Germany is very strong. And Germany, of course, when they go to big tournaments, they're always there. Uh, I think Spain is still OK. Brazil, maybe. But I, I think England can compete with them. England has a lot of new players now, young, very good, uh, doing great in Premier League, many of them. So I hope they can do a good World Cup. They will qualify for the second round, for sure. And then, of course, it depends. You have to be a little bit lucky when the draw comes, who you're going to meet. Injuries, always a big problem for England. How tired are they in the beginning of June, middle of June? Also very important. Uh, no winter break. I say that again. You will never win the World Cup if you don't make a winter break in England. But I'm, I'm very positive and I think they will do a very good World Cup. Yeah, they need to follow suit from Scotland with the winter break. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, though, we just haven't qualified for a World Cup or anything for quite some time. We need some good players as well. We need some, and we could do with a manager as well. Someone may have been appointed by the time this podcast comes up. But Sven, come and manage Scotland. Although actually having been England manager, I don't know if some of the Scots would quite like that. But I will not be uh, the <laughs> welcome, maybe. Oh, maybe for a Scottish team, maybe just not the national team. <laughs> you, you touched on something there in the young players in England, because we've seen younger teams, the under 17s, under 19s, under 20s, look at all of that success. And you wonder whether that is linked to St George's Park and, and the great facility that England now have. Had you had that, do you think you might have done better? Uh, yeah, we should have done better 2006, that's for sure. Uh, that's one of the big, big delusions in my football life. Because I was quite sure, semi-final, final. Yes, we didn't. That's it. Um, no, England, the future of England is great. Uh, the youth team has been winning big titles. Fantastic. And if you look at Premier League, there are a lot of uh, really, really good uh, English players in there. So how much more helpful do you think that would have been, say 2006, having that set up, that St George's Park and all of its facilities that have been nurtured by the FA for some years to try and get those levels coming through the ages? I think it was a very good decision to buy a FA centre. They, they take in young players. I think that was very, very good. And that became decided during my time. And it was not my merit. I think it was started with Adam Crozier and then people after him uh, forced it through. And I, I think that's important for England in the future. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, 1966, that's a long time ago. And uh, if you're a football fan in England, you still hope and you still think that will happen again. And it will. Have they done enough and come far enough, though, 12 years following on from 2006? Well, during the meantime, you can't say they've been great. But I think now, in Russia, I think they will do very well. I'm quite sure. Once again, injuries, uh, tiredness, that's the, most, that's the biggest enemies to, to England. And how do you rate Gareth Southgate as England manager? Or can you rate him yet? Have to wait until this tournament's <laughs> done. It's always like that. Uh, He's been great. You can't uh, complain at all and not even the English press can complain mm -hmm. because he's been doing what he should do and he's been doing it with style. And I think he will do a very good World Cup. But as always, the English press will judge you if you win the World Cup or when you are knocked out. From a former England manager to the current one, what would your biggest word of advice be to him if you were to give him a, a little nugget of something? Do it your way, use your head, don't listen to other people and don't read the press. You come over to Sweden, we're going to end on a Swedish note, um, even on the other borders actually, on the other side of Oslo, and Sven is a very popular name, very, very popular. But you, you mentioned the name Sven and immediately people think of you. I mean, you have got that status around the world now where you're known by your first name, which is incredible. Yeah, like Kylie. Or Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna. She, she's oh. better than me. Beyonce, even. Yeah, Sven. Well, most of the time it's nice. Uh, people recognize you and people, 
0.9% are kind people. Uh, so, yeah, that's okay. It does beg the question, when in Sweden, who is bigger, Sven or Zlatan? Today, Zlatan is bigger. <laughs> no doubts about that. Zlatan is, uh, well, he's the best football player ever in Sweden. And it will be difficult to find one who is going to do better. I mean, he's been great not only in Sweden, he's been great all over the world. So it's a man to respect. He is special. He's a little bit arrogant sometimes. But he can afford it because what he's saying, he's doing. He's not just talking. Normally he's doing what he, he tells people to do, what he shall do. I think everyone was surprised when he went to Manchester United, certainly at the end of his career, how generous he was in the dressing room. Because you always get that impression from Zlatan, like you said, the arrogance, that he might be quite a selfish person. He might be more focused on what he wants to do than sharing around his experience. But that is certainly something that had happened. And was it something that surprised you? Well, I know Zlatan, but not very well. I never coached him or things like that. But... Uh, you know, if you come so far away, you cannot be stupid. Uh, and I mean, he's been working with the best coaches in the world. He's been playing together with the best players in the world. And uh, he would never come that far if he's a stupid person. I think he's a leader. He's very positive. A lot of confidence, which is necessary in football. So, no, no, for me, he's a great man. And uh, as I said, he's the best ever in Sweden. You say he's coming towards the end of his career, which he is. It looks like he might be off from United at some point. Could be on his way to America, I think, as just one of these. Kind of would suit him, wouldn't it? You know, LA Galaxy and Beckham kind of go together. The Galaxy and Zlatan. It's just a bit of a shame that Beckham's franchise in Miami probably won't be up and running by the time that he maybe makes his move across to America. But would you say that that would be a good move for a player like Zlatan to go somewhere like America? Or would you say to him, actually, think outside the box, do something a little bit different? Well, you know, how I know Zlatan is, if he decides to go to any club in Europe or America, he will do it and he will be successful. Because if he feels that he can't do it, he will not go. Because he has always had success in his life, wherever he's been. And that will go on. And the day he thinks he can't do it anymore, he will stop. I'm quite sure about that. Hayley, you speak about Zlatan maybe going there. I'm wondering, have you had any chance with, with David Beckham about his franchise? Because he needs a manager. <laughs> yeah. But I think he's ready in 2020 or something like that. Uh, it takes some years for him. No, I know. I'm very happy for him because I think he's been fighting for that for a long time. And uh, I think that will suit him, have his own club. And uh, the name is there. Uh, so it's great. It shall be very interesting to see. We wish you all the best in your next ventures. Thank you very much for sitting down and talking to us. And certainly if you end up with a club, um, any names out there yet that you could go with? No. You know, football life is... When you don't have a job, you have a lot of agents phoning you. And some of them saying, Hello, my dear friend. How are you, Sven? And to be fair, I haven't spoken to them for the last three years. <laughs> So a lot of clubs, a lot of countries here and there, but something real, real, real uh, to take on. Fact, no.
It won't be Agent FC anyway. <laughs> thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you. A pleasure. Good luck. Yeah, and thank you for inviting us into your home and for making us coffee, cake and biscuits. Very good. You're welcome. <laughs> the Offside Rule Exclusives is produced by Offside Productions and edited by Lucy Lavery. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.